1: Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And I'm going to go in a slightly different direction today. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've focused on in the last few months has been about the the um, the, the big things of revolution and war, and you know the the, the weighty stuff, of like economic history. And today I'm going to focus on Billie Holiday. and um, Billie Holiday, particularly in 1939, and the creation of the song which came to define her, Strange Fruit. Now, I'm working today from Dorian Linsky's book, 33 Revolutions Per Minute, which is a, um, a kind of a very interesting cultural history of protest music. And his argument is that Strange Fruit um, was the beginnings of protest music itself. It's the, the, the first genuinely popular song which can be said to uh, have been um, have a, a, a protest encoded within it. Of course, folk music has a a, a very politicised vein uh, running through it and has done since perhaps back to the the Middle Ages. Um, The blues um, was, again, another means of articulating the the suffering of slavery and uh, discrimination and and segregation amongst uh, black Americans. So it's not to say that there hasn't been a, a vein of protest within music. But in the 20th century, protest and popular song and the medium by which popular song is disseminated, recording, broadcasting, that kind of thing, coincide to create this, this very interesting and complex genre. The song was first sung by Billie Holiday in 1939, uh, just on the eve of the Second World War in, in March of, of that year. And it was performed at uh, Cafe Society on West 4th Street uh, in New York, um, which was famously referred to as the wrong place for uh, the right people. Um, Cafe Society was uh, a a very bohemian um, establishment, which was all about rejecting the uh, the elitism of many of the social clubs uh, of New York, um, and it was a, a a club where black patrons were um, uh, allowed, but also had some of the most um, privileged places um, within, uh, within within the audience. Billie Holiday herself, obviously, came from. Harlem, the centre, the cultural centre of black life, not just in New York, but perhaps in all of um, America. She had uh, made her uh, initial performances there uh, as a singer with Count Basie's uh, band, and she was uh, really part of what became known as the Harlem Renaissance. Um, If you've ever heard me mention Mark Nyson's book, uh, black Communists in Harlem during the Great Depression, that p- paints a very interesting picture of um, the, uh, the the situation in, in in Harlem and the crossover between art and politics, which always exists in these sorts of uh, hotbeds of, of kind of culture and thought. The song "Strange Fruit" uh, wasn't written by Billy Holiday; it was written by a, a Jewish communist activist called Abel Mirapol. Um, the song was not written with initially with Billie Holiday in mind. It wasn't even written with uh, a popular uh, mainstream audience uh, in mind. Um, it had an explicitly uh, political message. And a lot of the time, the music that was written by people like Mirapol wasn't written to be played in nightclubs, but at picket lines and at um, meetings of trade unions and uh, left-wing parties. Um, but it would be the meeting of Mirapol and um, Billy Holiday that turned the song into something else. The first um, protest song to deal with the question of race was the 1929 song uh, Black and Blue, which was originally written by Andy Razoff and Fats Waller, um, which was included in the musical Hot Chocolates and sung by Edith Wilson. Um, when it was first sung, um, Black and Blue uh, reached out to an audience who had grown up uh, hearing uh, black music um, as minstreling, the music tradition uh, that's really parodied Black lives instead of reflecting them, um, where black entertainers and white entertainers wearing blackface um, created these sort of parodies of uh, the Jim Crow character and uh, the supplicant, supplicating uh, and uh, ignorant uh, Negro, um, and the the whole um, reason for the minstrel tradition was designed to kind of culturally disempower black people just as they had been disempowered after the end of the Reconstruction era politically and uh, economically. Um, but the song Black and Blue had a, a, a decided political um, uh, message. It um, has one couplet in it I'm white inside, it don't help my case because I can't hide what is on my face. Some writers on black music have suggested that it was black and blue that radicalised black music uh, in America Um, thereafter. It gave black entertainers and uh, black performers uh, more of a right to be explicit uh, about racial uh, oppression. In 1936, um, Lawrence Gellert, a socialist uh, researcher, Taught himself and collected a uh, compendium of 200 songs um, called uh, the Sounds of, the Negro Songs of Protest, and these were songs by black uh, bluesmen and uh, musicians who had never been allowed to set foot in a recording studio, and yet had their own um, way of articulating the suffering uh, that they had. Endured and witnessed throughout their lives. But the first major recording artist who was able to articulate um, the suffering of black Americans in the South was the former Louisiana convict Leadbelly, who um, composed a song in 1938 called Bourgeois Blues, which was about uh, racial discrimination not in the South, but actually racial discrimination that he encountered on a trip to Washington, D.C. Abel Mirapol was reflective enough to see that his experience of life, even uh, as a, an outsider, a Jewish communist in uh, largely kind of waspish society, um, was in no way uh, equivalent in terms of suffering uh, to the fate of black people in the South. And he was aware that only really a, a, a black person from the southern states would be able to fully comprehend the experience they had gone through. However, he knew that it was more than possible to write a song Uh, about the horrors of lynching, which is ultimately what Strange Fruit um, is about. Um, The practice of lynching was starting to go into gradual decline at the end of the 1930s, Uh, but it was uh, a photograph of a double hanging uh, which really affected Mirapol and horrified him to the extent that he became inspired to uh, write a song Um, The the lynching had taken place in Indiana in 1930, but it became really the the, the pin-up image for um, American racism. And it was also a metaphor for all the other kinds of bigotry and racism that affected uh, black American people. And the conviction that Miripol had in writing uh, Strange Fruit which was a song which had never been uh, the kind of song which had never really been attempted uh, before came from this image. It was originally, he wrote a poem in 1937 called Bitter Fruit and it was published in a trade union run uh, magazine, uh, The New York Teacher in 1937. He turned the uh, title to Strange Fruit because um, it was a way in, of telling a story in a slightly different fashion. Um, it evokes um, the idea of somebody looking uh, at uh, foreign objects hanging from trees and moving slightly closer um, to focus uh, slightly more uh, clearly on what they've witnessed and then recoiling in horror at what the strange fruit hanging. From the trees actually are um Mirupon was a communist teacher in his spare time. He wrote songs and poems and plays, much of it um, very political stuff, um, and much of it really not having a kind of an audience beyond his own immediate party circles. Um, he devised a, a kind of a, a tune for Strange Fruit um, and the song became part of a kind of like a fixture of um, leftist gatherings in 1938 and it was sung by Mirapol's wife initially. Um, it uh, became um, a hit initially for the black singer Laura Duncan at Madison Square Garden and in the crowd that night was Robert Gordon who had recently uh started to work at Cafe Society and the, he had begun to manage uh, Billy Holiday the um club that was is the the club at Cafe Society was established by uh, a New Jersey shoe salesman called Barney Josephson uh, and it was directly meant to be a, a kind of a, a riposte to the elitism of, of Manhattan society. Billy Holiday was 23 by the time she uh, got her, her job there. Um, she'd been born in Philadelphia, and she had spent her early years uh, working for a, a brothel in uh, Baltimore, um, and she said that in her uh, biography, Lady Sings the Blues, which is uh, apparently in parts a work of fiction. Um, that that was the only time that she'd really seen white and black people kind of I- I- interact in a non-hostile manner or a non-dominating manner from white to black. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going
0: up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Um, She was uh, the victim of uh, sexual abuse uh, when she was 10. Her neighbor tried to rape her. Um, And she was sent to a Catholic reform school. Uh, until she was uh, released by her, her mother, obviously quite a uh, a wild child, uh, and then drifted into prostitution later uh, as a, a teenager. Um, and she was jailed for this. And when she got out of prison, uh, she began singing in the jazz clubs of Harlem, and uh, she caught the eye of uh, the producer John Hammond, um, and it, through him she became a, a star... Um, When she went on stage, uh, said uh, Milt Gabler, the jazz impresario, um, in the spotlight she was absolutely regal. It was something, the way she held her head up high, the way she phrased each word and got to the heart of the story in a song and to the top of it, all she knew was where the beat was. Um, When Mirapol played uh, Josephson, uh, Strange Fruit, um, uh, Josephson said that he wanted to bring it to Billie Holiday um, in her memoirs Billie Holiday claims that she fell in love with the song right away but um, she said some guys brought me a hell of a damn song that I'm going to do she told uh, Frank- the, the band leader that night Frankie Newton uh, but Mirapol remembered it slightly differently um, believing that she performed it only as a favour to Josephson um, to be perfectly frank, I don't think she felt comfortable with the song. Now, this is an interesting detail, because um, as the song came to define Billy Holiday, um, it came to define a, a picture of Billy Holiday as this um, rather uh, empowered and radical character, whereas initially, that's perhaps not the case initially, Perhaps she was as nervous about the political subtext of the song as anybody else. Um, it wasn't really very—it uh, wasn't really very common for people to stand up in jazz clubs and sing songs uh, about uh, brutal uh, lynchings in the South. The reception to the song was either rapturous applause or anger. There was often shocked silence um, with people walking out of the um of the club um in disgust having wanted to be simply entertained but by April the 20th 1939 the song was recorded um and uh, by the record label Columbia Billie Holiday left Cafe Society in 1939 but took the song with her um there was speculation that the song might be so politically explosive that it would actually inspire new lynchings in the South. But Billie Holiday herself guarded the song um, with uh, fierce kind of intensity. Um, She became uh, very angry when the black folk singer Josh White, um, who joined Cafe Society in 1943, began to sing the song as well. Um, She threatened him uh, and was um, very, very uh, indignant that her song, as she saw it, was being uh, appropriated by somebody else. Um, Josh White himself um, was somebody who uh, was was no kind of lightweight figure, um, having uh, grown up in South Carolina and witnessed two lynchings uh, by the age of eight years old. His band in 1940, the Carolinians, had released the song Chain Gang, um, which uh, was obviously a reference to the mass incarceration of uh, black Americans and the forced labour extracted from them. And he was the the victim of violence um, as a result of the song when he uh, took a break from singing uh, and stood outside cafe society one night Seven white servicemen uh, set up about him and uh, gave him a beating. Um, During one of his shows in Pennsylvania, uh, someone shouted, Yeah, that song was written by a nigger lover. And in 1947, just to kind of emphasise the relationship, again, with the the, the song and the political left, Josh White spoke to the Daily Worker newspaper um, and he said, when I sing Strange Fruit, I feel as powerful as an M4 tank. Um, he was, Josh White became one of the most popular folk singers in, in America. And it was uh, him, as well as Billie Holiday, uh, that popularised uh, the song. Uh, particularly, he particularly saw it as a, uh, a political tool. In the early 1940s, Billie Holiday discovered heroin. Perhaps her childhood and the suffering in her life, um, the chaos in her upbringing and her early experiences of sexual abuse and then prostitution meant that her addiction was a, a strong possibility um, for her at any time. But it would be heroin which would devour her in the end. And not only did this, um, was it simply heroin, but also the experience now of being a very high-profile and famous black American woman in a white society, openly critiquing that society and holding up its, a mirror to it of its crimes. This was something that was um, very very bold of her, but also ultimately um, destructive. She was... Called in 1944, a naval officer in one of in a, a club she was singing in called her a nigger, and she broke a bottle and tried to um, lunge at him uh, with it, and was obviously restrained. Um, later on, whilst walking down 52nd Street, a friend called her out, uh, called to her, "How you doing, Lady Day?" And her reply was pretty succinct: "Well, you know, I'm still a nigger." she said. Um, the gradual um, decline in her well-being um, was exacerbated in 1947 when she um, served a year in prison for possession of heroin. Um, she, When she came out, ten days after she came out, she performed a comeback show at Carnegie Hall um, where she and this was a kind of like a metaphor for her situation. She was obviously intoxicated at the time, and she accidentally pierced her um face with a, a hat pin um and went on stage with blood trickling down her face um and she sang strange fruit uh there um with kind of uh, uh, with a mixture of sweat and blood uh, upon her which is kind of i guess quite quite fitting really and um the 1950s her performances declined as she drifted further and further into uh, addiction and when she went on stage she had sort of lost begun to begin to lose her her voice um and Her delivery of Strange Fruit uh, became um, less and less melodious, more and more kind of like an act of of masochism. Um, White racist audiences, audience members, would walk out. It's interesting to question why white racists are going to see Billie Holiday in the first place, but there you have it. Um, and she had, at this point, really lost the beauty of her youth and had been ravaged by the illness of heroin addiction, and um, she seemed to be, at this point, kind of like a signifier for this deeper tragedy of um, segregation and discrimination and, and racial racial violence. Um, David Margolic, um the uh, music writer, said, She'd grown oddly, sadly suited to capture the full grotesqueness of the song. Now she did not only uh, now she not only sang of bulging eyes and twisted mouths, she embodied them. It was um a a way in which the, the song had sort of overtaken her, really. She died in um the in 1959 on the 17th of July um at New York Hospital. Um after she'd recorded um, the "Strange Group for the fourth um, time, and the song began after her death to sort of drift away uh, from public consciousness, and interestingly, it never became a civil rights anthem. Instead, uh, songs like "We Shall Overcome" um, became and uh, gospel music became the sound of uh, of the civil rights movement. Initially, in the nineteen fifties, because they articulated a hope, a, a determination, a steadfastness, a, a vision for the future—not the um, the darkness of "Strange Fruit." Though in subsequent decades, obviously, the song has returned to prominence as one of the the kind of the the, the great protest songs of the twentieth century. Anyway, I'm going to look more in the near future at everyone from um, Woody Guthrie all the way through to um, the uh, protest music uh, that we experience in the 20s and tw- late 20s and early 21st centuries. So uh, do watch out for more of this kind of thing because it's a, a, f- a fascinating cultural topic. Um, now, if you are wanting to find out about more and um, look at more Explaining History content, check out our Patreon page. Uh, obviously, uh, we rely on the flimsy trickle of advertising revenue, uh, but mainly on the donations and the, uh, the kindness of strangers. So if you can help, that's all gratefully received. Thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.